Hello, everybody, and welcome in to another episode of the I Am a Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. I'm Ben Fredrickson, joined by Dave Matter from our Columbia Bureau, here to break down another weekend, another week in Mizzou Athletics. And we're going to talk with ba- about basketball. We'll talk the positives, free throw shooting, and the negatives, pretty much everything else. And maybe get into a little uh, a little Super Bowl talk, but not your typical Super Bowl discussion because there's some Mizzou ties there that are that are pretty interesting. But let's start, Dave, with basketball. Um, we'll we'll start off on a positive note. Uh, free throw shooting. It's remarkable. Um, it's not helping Missouri win games right now, but uh, that's that's a really impressive thing, especially when you watch some of the other teams in college basketball. Yeah, they've made. Uh... Well, they did make 54 in a row over two games, which set the NCAA record been held by Wake Forest since 2005. Uh, but what do they have to show for it? Not a whole lot. But you give them credit. I mean, they're having to find ways to get points. Conzo's been talking, really going back to last year, that you know a way to get to get points when you're struggling in a half court offense, you're struggling to hit three point shots, is to drive the ball absorb some contact and get to the free throw line and they are they're absolutely doing that 31 of 31 at Alabama and then the other night they hit their first 23 Mitchell Smith missed the, the second of two to to snap the uh the streak that would have tied the game there's still a lot of a lot of possessions left in that one and just Missouri's luck when Drew Smith needed to miss one to give Missouri a chance to get a putback with with two seconds left, <laughs> it rolled in and went in. So even when they're trying to miss, they're still making free throws. So that's really about the best thing we could say about this team right now. I mean, even Buzz Williams, after the game, Texas A&M's coach said, "I think Missouri is leading the country in free throw shooting in 2020. Not for the whole season, but it, since the calendar turned." And uh, that's that's about all this team has going for it right now. Got to be uh, an incredible stat to have those numbers come in in losses consecutive losses um that probably will stand for a long time i imagine um missouri is nine and nine overall one and five in sec play that was a a really bad loss for any sort of postseason hopes to texas a&m at home on tuesday they have now lost five of their last six the only win in that in that run is that remarkable blowout of of florida which looked like a a team that was going places and then the bottom is has pretty much dropped out since then. Um, obviously, they're getting you know they're getting exposed a little bit inside with with Jeremiah Tillman out and injured. Um, but you know what that game plan that looked so great against Florida, playing small and and getting out and running and and doing those kind of things, it it hasn't worked for them in part because they're not making three pointers and in part because their defense has really fallen off a cliff here. What do you make of of those two things? What do you think has been the most the most problematic for these guys. Yeah, you know, the three-point shooting, and Conzo, even the other night, like, they weren't taking bad threes. They were taking wide-open threes, a lot of wide-open threes in the corners, which was their game plan going in because they thought that that's a spot on the floor that Texas A&M would leave them open. And it's it's hard to say, gosh, you know, this is not a well-coached offensive team when they're getting wide-open looks. They're just not hitting them. Now, part of that is, hey, Maybe you say these guys aren't good three-point shooters. You need to change things up. But Mark Smith is still a guy that shoots 40%. And he was fine the other night. I think he was 5 of 12 or 5 of 13. Uh, it's it's the rest of the team, as far as that shot goes, that just they are not connecting right now. You know, Xavier Pinson, Torrance Watson, Mitchell Smith, Javon Pickett, we've all seen these guys be able to hit threes. 
and sometimes get a little bit hot and make a few in a row. But right now, it's just not working. And they were they went long, long stretches the other night where they weren't even getting two point attempts made. It was just all from three. Now some of that was, you know, they were they they got fouled taking a two, and then those don't count as as field goal attempts, even though there was an intent there to shoot the ball closer to the rim. But when you get fouled, you just get your free throws, and that doesn't go down as a shot. So you, the the breakdown, the splits between twos and threes attempted is really heavy on the threes right now. 35 threes the other night that that tied for the most under Conzo in three seasons. And it's just not clicking. And and after the game, you know, he says he's not second guessing the shot selection because the, most of those are open looks and you you got to take them when that's what your strength as a player is supposed to be. Um they're really missing any kind of inside scoring threat right now. Not that Jeremiah Tillman was giving them you know, 15 points a game or anything like that. But when the threat is not there, it just takes away so much of what they were built to do this year. And then, like you touched on defensively, they're giving up more threes uh, than they have in the past. They just don't have that physical presence all the time that you need, especially when you're struggling on offense. So they're they're really in a rut right now. That, That loss the other night was so harmful because when you just look at the schedule, you say, okay, the home games you need to win are the ones against teams like Texas A&M, uh, Ole Miss, uh, some of the, the bottom to mid-tier teams in the league. And when you miss out on an opportunity like that, you're looking at the rest of the schedule, and they've got they've got 13 games left, six at home, seven on the road. It's hard to find more than just a couple where they're going to have a really good shot at winning. Yeah, they they say there's there's no such thing as a uh, as a must-win game in January. And I've seen some crazy things happen. I've seen a Conzo Martin team be pretty mediocre and then go on a tear to get into Dayton and then take off. So I don't think you're putting a nail in the coffin of the season yet. But, man, they're really going to have to come out of this like a phoenix in order to uh, make the NCAA tournament or even make uh, make the NIT. And uh, the next game is probably one of the toughest they'll play all season, Dave. they got to go to West Virginia in the Big 12 SEC showdown. Big 12 SEC Classic, whatever they're calling it these days, and that's probably the uh, one of the opponents you would least like to have, other than Kansas, maybe because you might get hit in the head with a stool uh, if you show up at, uh, at at Allen Fieldhouse. But other than 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 that, I don't know that you would you would have West Virginia tied for first on the places you'd least like to go this season. They're they're off to a, a very very good season. They're 14th in the country, and that's not an easy place to play. No, not at all. They're undefeated at home. This is a team that Bob Huggins really likes. Last year's team, really underachieved, was not his type of team. He kind of scrapped the roster, and they are really, really good. They're they're number six right now at Ken Palm. Uh, defensively, some of their 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 big important metrics numbers say that this is the best defensive team Bob Huggins has ever had, and that's that's 13 years at West Virginia nine years at Cincinnati, his one year at K-State. That's saying something, if that's even close to being accurate to what this team is. Uh, they do not They do not have a really a bunch of high scorers. They're pretty balanced. They've got this freshman, Oscar Shubway, 6'9", McDonald's All-American. He's from the Congo. Uh, he is just He's a highlight reel. I mean, he just he had a huge dunk in that game against Texas the other night that was all over TV and the Internet. Um, he's really good. He's going to be a problem inside, and he's like one of four big men that they have that's, that's going to be a challenge for Missouri. Uh, so, yeah, this is probably 
probably the worst matchup in this series on Saturday. It's going to feature 10 games between the two conferences, just based on how the two teams are playing. Uh, Missouri's happy to be back in this event. They've been out of it for, I think, five years, four or five years. Uh, Conzo, he's made this point a few times. He was under the impression that Missouri was going to host uh, this year, their first year back in the tournament. That's one of the, you know, reasons that their non-conference schedule wasn't very good at home, but they were always kind of banking on, oh, the, the Big 12 game will be in, in Columbia. Well, it's not. Instead, it's in Morgantown, and, um, you know, Bob Huggins' team has been, you know, pretty much perfect there uh, this year and, and in most years in the past, if you take out last year, which was kind of an outlier. So this is a, it's a really, really tough matchup for Missouri all the way around. If you believe the ESPN uh, matchup predictor, Missouri has a 10.6% chance of winning of winning that game in, in Morgantown against the 14th-ranked West Virginia Mountaineers. Dave, when I watch the Tigers, I, I see a team that's not – I don't think they're that far off. I really don't. But what I, what I see is a, a guy, the absence of a player who – goes and gets you a win when the game's on the line and I know a lot of people had had issue maybe with with the you know the the game management toward the end of A&M but here's the thing they got a great shot a great shot that inbound play from the other court other end of the court was fantastic and I guess you don't some people didn't like Mark Smith throwing the ball in but he was the baseball pitcher who's probably got the only you know strongest most accurate arm and that kind of a throw so that's probably why you had him inbounding it. I don't know that anybody else on the team could make that kind of pass. And and it goes to, to Torrance Watson, who misses the three. But here's the thing. Mark Smith had missed a similar three earlier on, you know, not too too much before in the game. I don't know that there's one guy on the team that you feel good about hitting that big of a shot, even though it was a pretty good look. They don't have a guy who, you know, who they can turn and point to in the huddle when the game is is in that setting, and I think I think that we're seeing the the ramifications of that in these close games. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, Mark hit some big shots to to bring that game. You know, it was a nine point deficit with a minute forty left, and he hit some big shots to to get it close there. And then what they were what they had out there on the floor and, and the things that were unfolding. I mean, it was everything was going their way they just they had some bad breaks for one like you mentioned they had that nice it was a nice play drew smith uh it was kind of a dribble handoff to to mark smith wide open three that he hits a a lot of the time he missed that one uh and then drew smith with a few seconds left they they a&m missed two free throws he brings it down they call timeout they set up a play uh they kind of isolated him in the middle of the court and he was dribbling down probing kind of like what he does so well he's so strong we've got the defender kind of on his hip there and he was just a little too aggressive and he got called for a charge and it was Conzo after after the game he didn't have an issue with the call he said you know that's there's a line there that you have to draw between being too aggressive and when you know it's going to be a foul and he said as a veteran player he he should know better and Drew Smith to his credit said the same exact thing so I I can't let that happen uh that's there was too much too much there uh, so yeah, that's it, it was all right there for him to either get the foul and put Missouri up in the game. Um, it, instead, it, it goes down as a turnover, and then just a bad break right after that. Javon Pickett came so close to poking the ball loose for a steal uh, along the sideline, but got called for a foul. A little too much contact for the for the rest taste there. But if that's a no call, it's a huge play that Missouri makes to to get another turnover with another shot there. And then the final play, you know, the hardest part to pull that off, a 94-foot pass. <laughs> the pass, it was amazing. To set up the three is the pass. Yeah. So 
he executed that part. I, I don't think we can we shouldn't second guess having the wrong guy in there. No, I think Torn he's probably the only guy who can do it. To make, right, exactly. And give Parker Brown Parker Brown credit for you know he on the play he had the chance if he was close enough where he caught it he could have gone up for a layup but he knew he couldn't from that angle so he had this great touch pass to Torrance Watson who is on this team to make threes and he didn't so yeah great they drew that one up perfectly and had the right guy throwing the ball throwing the pass and and Parker did a great job and Torrance shot was just off yeah, it was almost like a volleyball set pass by Parker. It was, yeah. it was, it it had the defense. I think kind of almost knew what was coming, but still couldn't couldn't get to it in time. You're, the Conzo and and uh, and Drew are more kind about that charge. I, I don't think that's a charge you can call in that setting in that game, especially when the guy wasn't clearly in front of the of the offensive player. Now, smart by Texas A and M to scout Drew well enough to know that's what he's going to do. Clearly, some he does some, it a lot. Clearly, yeah. some flopping there. Some, or I wouldn't call it flopping, but some embellishment there. And, and that was a great defensive play. It was very smart. They took a gamble, and it paid off for them. The As for the picket steal, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there. I just saw it on TV. But that, that I didn't see the contact that the officials saw, at least on the replays that, that they showed. So not that that would have necessarily dictated a difference in the game. I think that would be a, a big jump to conclusions there. But some tough breaks for Mizzou um, as things went down to the wire there. Where, where do they where where do they seem they're at, Dave? I mean, you talk to them, you're around them a lot more than I am. Um, where's the, what's the state of the team? What's the state of state of Conzo? And, and do they feel like this is slipping away from them, or do they feel like they can they can get this and, and and try to you know get this back moving in the right direction here? They were pretty down after the game the other night, you know, as as expected. I mean they they've been confident that they can get this flipped as far as just the shooting goes. And when you have a game like Florida, like they did, you know, less than two weeks ago, and you see them shoot like that, I think those guys are the veterans are probably mature enough to realize, okay, we're not going to shoot 63% all the time, right. but it shows that they're possible of having a, a good night against a good team, and they just haven't since then. So I don't know if there's some kind of disconnect between staff and players or if their approach going into games just isn't that good enough. The thing is that the three games since then have been all so wildly different. I mean, the Mississippi State game, they didn't show up. They had no intensity early, got down 10 nothing. Everything they tried didn't work. Mississippi State looked like the hungrier team and has, has been undefeated since then. Go to Alabama. You know that they're going to score a ton of points. You can't have breakdowns defensively, and they did. Um, that's the game where they got to the free throw line a lot but just couldn't hit enough shots. But we're very, very competitive. And then the other night, you know, against A&M, they got into those scoring droughts again. And and that game you can kind of afford to because A&M is going to go through them also. They had two long uh, droughts where they didn't score anything or didn't hit any shots. But you got to be able to make enough stops in the end, which they couldn't again. All of a sudden A&M looked like a decent three-point shooting team when that has been their weakness all season. And, uh, and they just couldn't make enough plays down the stretch. So I think you're right. They don't have that one go-to guy where you can – really count on him, whether that's a, a Cassius Robertson, a Marcus Denman, somebody like that. And Mark Smith has been that guy at times. Drew Smith has been that guy at times. Um, but it, it just they really did seem to miss Kobe Brown the other night. I mean, he's He's been coming on lately, at least on the offensive end. He couldn't go. Uh, he was sick. He was really sick before the game, what we were told. Um, and I'm sure he wanted to play, but physically was just not there. And uh, that, that would have made a difference because he he's another athlete to put out there, another scoring option who's, who's been playing better as of late. 
so they were really limited. They were basically down to seven seven guys in that rotation, and um, it's not like they've got a, a, an all SEC standout among those seven. Yeah, they're just not not good enough or deep enough to lose one guy who's contributing and, and be like, oh, we're fine. They've already lost right. Jeremiah Tillman, and, and and there doesn't seem to be much discussion about when he could be back. Do you think that, that we've seen the last of Jeremiah Tillman, at least for this season at Mizzou? It wouldn't shock me. I mean, Conzo's kind of talked about him in the past tense. Yeah, times. I've that noticed that too. A, that just might be a slip. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, he, he's off crutches. He's still in a walking boot. Uh, but I, I don't know. I, with Conzo, when it comes to injuries, you just he never quite gives you much. And I think for him, he doesn't get too consumed with it because he just gets, hey, the yes or the no from the training staff, and then he moves on and doesn't really focus on it too much. So right now he knows that Tillman isn't part of the part of the mix, and uh, he's going with what they have. We talked about kind of the lack of a, a guy they can throw the ball to and say, hey, go get us a win. Um, that's going to be the discussion about this team, and and it's going to be the discussion about recruiting. Um, are there are there guys that you feel this staff is you now they're pretty they guard recruiting pretty close. Conzo uh, kind of keeps that under under his hat. But are there guys that that you feel like you know they're starting to look at, or guys they're prioritizing, or who do you think you know who's out there that could maybe maybe come in and help lift the the talent level of this team here not to mention there are going to be grad transfers and i think missouri would be very wise right. to be heavy in that market when it becomes available for next season well there's there's some names starting to surface a little bit but um a little bit off the radar which is kind of what we come to expect with with conzo you know they've got uh, another scholarship open with mario mckinney left the team uh they only have signed one player for this class jordan wilmore the kind of the, the mysterious 7-3 center who has gone to um several schools over the last few years to put it lightly um you know i what is what is conzo's specialty in recruiting it's getting guys to flip it's either going in and getting somebody after a coaching change who wants to tear up his letter of intent and go somewhere else or somebody who's been committed elsewhere uh like they had with with kobe brown who was committed to a&m um with uh trey jackson who who signed with minnesota and then uh changed his commitment after that or maybe i have those two the other way around it was it was brown who was signed to go to a&m they had the coaching change to buzz williams he got out of his letter of intent jackson was committed to play at minnesota and then flipped we, we know all about all the illinois flips uh, when conzo first got to missouri obviously mark smith transferring drew smith transferring so he is not shy about going into the transfer market or uh getting someone to change their mind who's already committed to somewhere else so maybe you got to see what happens after coaching changes elsewhere uh it, it also depends too on how many scholarships they have available you know right now it's just one there could always be roster turnover i think you always expect that in in college basketball uh to some degree so uh it's time will tell but uh, I, I think for sure as, as much as we like the idea of okay they're going to bring back some of these guys they're going to be juniors they're going to be seniors I, I think it's safe to say they need some reinforcements on this roster yeah, I think that's going to be, um, you know, the, the discussion. And if they continue to lose, and that talk about the future becomes more and more prevalent now. Um, as much as you hate to see a season kind of start to become nothing more than uh, something, you know, a reason to talk about the future. That's what this team has to try to avoid, and they're kind of up against it here um, in order to try to keep people excited about the rest of of this season. 
Um, that'll kind of uh, we'll put a bow on the basketball talk for now, and we'll see how things go at at West Virginia. Um, you know, just when we think Missouri's about to roll over for good, at least so far this season, they've gone out and gotten decent wins. Um, happened at Temple, happened against Florida. Maybe they can pull it off against West Virginia. That would be a, a hell of a win to uh, bring back home if there's a way for them to to do it. I wanted to talk to you a little bit, Dave, about the Super Bowl, but not you know the who do you think's going to win, how great is Pat Mahomes stuff. There, you can make an argument that the Super Bowl would not be happening, at least for Kansas City under Andy Reid, if not for the University of Missouri football team. There are some really fascinating ties here that uh, that are worth mentioning as Super Bowl Sunday nears. Yeah, you know, Andy Reid and, and also Dave Tobe, who is assistant head coach and special teams coordinator, you know, they both were Mizzou assistants a long time ago. And, you know, Andy was Bob Stahl's offensive line coach back in the uh, back in the 90s. You know, that staff was together, I think, 89 to 93, 88, 93. And he was there for a while. Um, and one of his first jobs in coaching, and he still he still really has a strong connection to a lot of the guys that played for him. Uh, he was part of that kind of all-star staff back in the early 90s. They didn't get much done on the field, but, you know, you had Marty Morningway, uh, who went on to become an NFL head coach. Dirk Cutter, who went on to become an NFL head coach as part of that staff. Uh, Dave Tobe was a strength coach on the team. His story is really fascinating. I got to know him a little bit in my early days covering the team in Columbia. Um, he was a strength coach for, for Bob Stoll and then for Larry Smith. And then right before the 1998 season kicked off, Curtis Jones, who was the defensive line coach, he tragically had a fatal heart attack. He was the father of Corby Jones, a quarterback. And, you know, it's too late in the year to go out and hire somebody, so they promoted Dave Tobe to defensive line coach from the strength staff. He ends up being the D-line coach for Justin Smith and was in that position for three years and then went on to leave Missouri and go on and have this really solid, impressive uh, career as a as a NFL assistant coach. So who knows if he gets that opportunity, if not for tragedy, on Missouri staff. And he's a guy that's mentioned a lot as a head coaching candidate in the NFL. I hope, I'd like to see him get a shot because he's a great guy and really – really popular with his players uh, and has done, you know, done a really good job both with the Chicago bears and, and now with, with the chiefs under working under Andy Reid. So yeah, there's some Mizzou ties, no players from Mizzou on either team, which is a little, a little unusual, but um, definitely some, some coaching ties. And uh, Jim Thomas reminded me of this the other night, we were talking some, some hockey stuff and he reminded me that Steve Spagnolo apparently was like a, I don't know what do you what you would even call it like a, a shadow for for some of the guys on that staff like he would just come up and spend a few weeks at a time just to kind of try to improve his football knowledge like he was the guy they would send out to grab pizzas and uh, you know and and coffee if they were up late breaking down film and he would he would take basically turns you know making trips to Columbia to learn from that staff of course now he's the defensive coordinator for Andy Reid with the Chiefs which is is pretty crazy uh, Missouri should do uh, it can't do the Mizzou made thing for the players in the Super Bowl, but it could do one for the coaches. <laughs> yeah, and actually, they've they've put out some uh, graphics last week. They're always looking to capitalize on anything that's happened in the NFL, and they had a nice graphic of Andy Reid and and Dave Tobe. I don't think they got spags in there, but <laughs> he was um, busy yeah, grabbing they'll, pizza. They'll take <laughs> credit for anything they can for sure when uh when somebody's having some success outside of Mizzou. All right, so that leads us to our question: What's more likely to happen first? Elijah Drinkwitz uh, wins a, an SEC championship as Missouri's head coach or is coaching as some sort of NFL coach, coordinator, or head coach 
uh, in, in an NFL Super Bowl? Ooh, that's a good one. It's, it's going to be so hard for Missouri to win an SEC championship. Oh, Dave, come on, man. Georgia and Florida are going right now. The listeners are so sad with this answer. Come on. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd, I want, I'd like to see him have success. Um, man, that's uh, – and I don't know if he's an NFL guy, so I don't know. Well, I guess I'll go with an SEC championship. I'll go NFL. I think I think uh, Drinkwitz has a, a – a, a really uh, smart NFL offensive coordinator is something that Missouri would have to uh, to have to worry about. Um, not that they not you know at this point, guys are getting uh, you know significant raises to get poached to the NFL for head coaching jobs. So um, you know maybe it's uh, maybe they can fin 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 that off. And of course we would like to see how the offense performs at Missouri before we, we go down that road. But just something to speculate on and and a really kind of a, a neat thing for those guys. Um, to to have some some familiarity with Mizzou in the Super Bowl there, so you'll be uh, we'll all be probably watching the Super Bowl at least the commercials. I've watched as little NFL football this year as I ever have, um, and I still have a hard time forgetting how uh, how Chiefs owner Clark Hunt voted um, in the uh, in the relocation process. So it's spoiling it a little bit for me, but uh, certainly happy for Kansas City fans and certainly happy for Coach Reed, who I think we can all agree is. Uh, stand-up guy who who deserves to uh his shot to get that ring so hope it happens for him and maybe he'll come back to mizzou and, and show it off that'd be that'd be pretty cool dave anything else before we run here i just saw this it's got me thinking speaking of nfl and former mizzou coaches i saw there was a report this morning or last night the new tight ends coach of the new york giants could very well be Derek dooley oh boy well um how about that that's something because garrett's there now i guess Jason Garrett, their connection, I assume he worked for him in Dallas, and then they've coached together in Miami under Nick Saban. So that'd be a good landing spot, I guess, for, for Derek to kind of an anonymous job. He's got a good <laughs> tight end. They've got a good tight end there, Evan Ingram. So uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see if he gets any better um, if uh, Dooley gets the gig. So there you go. Man, Mizzou connections everywhere. All right, Dave, we'll run. Uh, for folks who are new to the podcast, thank you. For, for checking us out. Very easy to find. If you want to subscribe, go to stltoday.com slash podcasts, or even easier, go to iTunes, whatever it is you're 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 using for your podcast needs. Just search Eye on the Tigers podcast. It should pop up there. Do us a favor, subscribe. Let us know how we're doing in the reviews. For Dave, I'm Ben. We will talk to you next week. Bye.